Let's join our hearts in prayer. Our good and our holy God, today in this place we ask you to pour out on this your people a spirit of grace and intercession. God, stir our hearts to seek you. Give us, Lord, a passion and a desire to walk with you every day of our life and every moment in every day. Lord, we love you. We love you because you first loved us and you demonstrated your love for us in giving us life in your Son, our Savior. Lord, we want to know you. We want to be transformed by you. And Lord, those parts of us that, that can't say that, those parts of us that we're holding back, Lord, give us the grace and the courage to bring those things to you and offer them to you. Do a work in us, Lord. Make us more like Christ. We pray in his strong and beautiful name, saying together, amen and amen. Please be seated. Friends, I'll give you a little bit of a commercial and tell you where we're going before we start the message today. Uh, God has been working in my own life, my, my own walk with him about prayer. Uh, about having a heart that turns to him in regular prayer. Uh, in some ways, prayer is the easiest thing we do. In many ways, it's the hardest thing we do. And sometimes, if we're honest, it can just be flat boring. And that's why we don't do it. We, we tend to get in, in ruts and we pray the same words over and over again. Uh, but God wants us to be a people that connect with him uh, in a real way, in, a, in an intimate way, to, to know him and to be known by him uh, and to grow into the likeness of Christ, our Savior. And so God's been sort of putting that, his finger on my heart in this area. Uh, and I believe he's, he's calling on me to, to preach about this and talk about this and lead us uh, in the atmosphere of prayer. Uh, I think it's important for us to learn the language of prayer in Scripture. Uh, so on the mornings for the, for the next several weeks, we'll be looking at the prayer life of the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul was an activist kind of person. Uh, he, he wasn't one of, one of these, I, I don't think he, there's an introverted bone in his body. He's, a, he's sort of a fidgety a, a activist kind of person, all, always about doing things. Uh, a man of great intellect, but also a person uh, of real winsome spirituality, a person who, who had a heart for God. Uh, he got his learning and kept his burning, if you will, you know? Uh, and and that, that's what he was after in life. And so he becomes a model for us in so many ways. Beginning next Wednesday night, uh, we'll begin to look at the prayer life of Jesus and, and his model prayer and those parables on prayer. And we'll have occasion in, in that fellowship hall to pray around those tables uh, as Jesus led us and taught us to pray, dipping into the Psalms and to the prayers of the Old Testament. So uh, I would invite you to be part of that. I would also commend to you uh, a simple little devotional book called Praying the Bible. Uh, it just opens up a guide by Donald Whitney, just, just opens up this rhythm uh, of praying the language of Scripture. So that's my commercial. Did you get that down? All right. Well, today's text, I invite you to find a Bible. If you don't have one, uh, as they say at Church Advent in Birmingham, you can steal one from these pews. We'll replace it. 
Uh, but take a Bible and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 3, our focal text today, verses 11 through 13 of chapter 3. Uh, because I want us to begin today, as we're talking about the prayer life of Paul, asking ourselves, who was Paul praying to? Uh, how did he envision God? How did he understand God? Uh, in some ways, uh, prayer is reflexive. If you were to trip over the curb, you would do one or two things. You would pray or you would use profanity. Uh, some of us may be tempted to do both simultaneously. Uh, it's just kind of how life happens. If you were riding down the street and, and one of our tourists, let, let's say they won a, a once-in-a-lifetime trip to Waco, Texas at a raffle at the Piggly Wiggly in, in you know, St. Francisville, Louisiana or something, and they're here in Waco for the first time, uh, and, they, and they come down the wrong way on one of our many one-way streets. Have you experienced this yet? You either pray or you use profanity, right? I mean, it's sort of a reflective behavior. Uh, Josh Hayes and Rebecca, they, they, were, they were in charge of freshman students at Union University when a tornado came through. Uh, well, you were seniors, I think. You had charge of these, these, these bright-faced, young, hopeful people. And, and they're, they're huddled in dormitories when tornadoes were blowing the tops off of these dorms. I mean, they were seeing them being lifted up. Uh, I said, how did it go? And Josh said, well, I remember having all these freshmen in there, and, and one kid was praying the Lord's Prayer over and over and over again. And one kid was just trading out four-letter words over and over and over and over and <laughs> over again. And so that, that's those reflective behaviors in times of crisis. So, so in some ways, uh, prayer is sort of a reflexive thing. It, it just it, it sort of comes out of us uh, as, as we're tripping or, or, or the tourists are coming at us or, or whatever. But that's really not a life of prayer, is it? That's just kind of chunking stuff at the, at the whatever. That's really not a life of prayer. Uh, and, and it's not praying to the God of Scripture, the God of the Exodus, and the God of the empty tomb, the Father of our Lord Jesus. It, it's, it's not prayer that it shapes our hearts, really, most of the time. It, it's just a coming out of the mouth. And so it's important for us to, as we live in our life, in the rough and tumble world that it is, to have a, have a, have a clear picture of God, as God has made himself known in Scripture and I think we have that today in, the, in this passage of Scripture in 1 Thessalonians. Is as Paul is writing to this, this church, these people that he cares about. Uh, and this is what he says as he begins to pray. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, just as we abound in love for you. And may he so strengthen your hearts in holiness that you may be blameless before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. For the next few moments this morning, I, I want to observe a few things in these three verses. I'll give you six of them. So if you're a note-taking kind of person, you'll know when you come to the end. I'll give you a half dozen observations that, that about God from these, from these verses. The first is that God is personal. God is personal. Uh, Paul says, our God, our Lord Jesus. Why the our? Well, one of the reasons for the hour is that Paul is writing as part of a team. If you read the first verse, you have uh, Silvanus and Timothy and Paul. This letter comes from, from these three co-laborers in the faith. 
In fact, one of the reasons Paul's letters have so much sort of vitality and punch is because they're oral documents for the most part. With very few occasions, Paul uses others as the letters are being crafted. Uh, he, he's talking to an amanuensis, or he's writing with friends like this. And it's almost like that scene in, uh, in, in A Few Good Men where Tom Cruise comes in and he's working on his, his closing statement, and he's swinging the baseball bat, and he's talking out loud, and he's working it out loud verbally. I envision a lot of Paul's letters sort of being created this way. As he's in conversation with co-laborers in the faith, and he's talking, say it, write it like this. Say this. This is what we're going to write this down. And, and so it's this verbal, lively kind of thing. So one of the reasons we have the hour is because Paul's writing is part of a team. Timothy, let's say it like this. Sylvanus, write it down like this. Let's tell them this. This is what God has put in my heart. Let's tell them this. So it's from a community of faith to a community of faith. All people that had been touched by the gospel of the Lord Jesus and were being transformed by that. Timothy and Silvanus and Paul and the church at Thessalonica, or as we used to say in training union, Thessalonica. All of these people have one thing in common, and that's God. God in Christ had touched their life and was touching their life and transforming them. We, we know the story, many of us do, is one of the most famous uh, conversion stories in all the Bible uh, about Saul in Acts chapter 9. Saul's sort of the Hebrew way of talking about Paul. Paul's sort of the Greek way of talking about it. Paul means kind of short guy. Saul after the king, right? I think I'd have been Saul throughout my life, and Paul probably was. So Saul... His backstory is he's raised by these very devout people, and he swallows the whole bird feathers and all. I mean, he's a committed person of faith, uh, and he becomes increasingly more uh, committed and to the point where he sort of moves past what was, what was sanctioned by God and right and holy for life to becoming one of sort of narrow, angry, even violent his faith was to be protected with the sword, and he was going to wield it. And there were these people who were coming along, these followers of the way, uh, and they were teaching things that were not acceptable uh, in his community. And so his goal was, in this, in this very passionate way, as he was going to snuff it out, snuff it out with a stick if he had to. There was a Christian community. There was a Christian community up in Damascus, an early Christian community. Some people suggest that people from Jesus' own uh, biological family were there. We don't know that for sure, but we know there was a vibrant community of faith up in Damascus. And he heard about their, their, their life together and their commitments to the gospel. He heard about the, the light that was glowing from the candle that was the followers of the way in Damascus. And he, he sought out the opportunity to go up there and wreak havoc to couple the chains to issue the papers to shut it down before it got out of hand I'm glad after thousands of years we finally got this under control that spirit is very much alive and well and it was by that spirit that he went with the vision to crush the church. And on his way there, he was confronted 
with a resurrected, glorified Savior who said to him, why are you persecuting me? Not them, but me. And from that moment on, the grace, the hard-edged grace of God penetrated his heart. And God began to work in his life. And, and the, he, the church was sent to him. And they practiced grace in his life. And, and they, they further explained to him the way of Jesus. And he was baptized and he, he rested up and he, he ate and he was healed. And, and he began to proclaim this Christ. His life, his life was transformed from, from an ultra right-wing terrorizing human being to someone who was proclaiming the aliveness of Jesus in the earth. Our God, he met a personal God who came for him and as the church was being persecuted, took that personally as well. A personal God, not the ground of our being, not the divine, not some holy idea, but God the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jesus, the God of the Exodus and the God of Easter, God. He met that God. And as he served him, he went about. And part of his journey took him to Thessalonica, this great city, maybe 200,000 people, uh, a free city uh, in the empire. They were able to print their own coins. They had liberty to have all manner of worship. Big synagogue was there. He went there. We read that story in, in the book of Acts. You read about it in Acts chapter 17. They, they go there, and they go to the synagogue first, and they have some great success, and some of the leading, powerful, wealthy women start coming to follow the way from that community. And then they're kind of booted out of that area. They proclaim to the others as well. And then the testimony of their conversion is given in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Listen to how Paul writes about it in verse 6. And you became imitators of us, and of the Lord. For in spite of persecution, you received the word with joy inspired by the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place your faith in God has become known so that we have no need to speak about it. For the people of those regions report to us what kind of welcome we had among you, how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven who he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the wrath that was coming. He said we're all in this together because of Jesus because of this word that we received. We are being rescued from judgment we are being given life by this. We, we've, been, we've been changed. We've been changed by God in Christ, this very real and personal God. From the right and from the left, from the pagans and from the Pharisees, God was making a people. You saw Jesus did, do it, didn't you? The woman at the well, Nicodemus, tax collectors, zealots, this area, that area, and in between. Every single last one of us, regardless of the, the side of the horse of sin we've fallen off on, each and every single one of us has, have a great need, and that need is God. 
And to the Pharisee and to the pagans, God came and the word came and all that receive it are touched and transformed by his grace. Our God, our Lord Jesus. Recently, Alan Cross, a pastor, Deep South pastor wrote this, if Jesus called the 12 disciples in America today, at least one would be from the alt-right and one from the radical left. He transformed both. This is not a word of moral equivalency here. It's a it's an observation that the gospel penetrates human hearts. He was able to make that kind of observation because he read the Bible about Jesus and the kinds of people that he proclaimed his life to, the kinds of people he offered his life to. And because of Paul and because of the pagans. Our God is a stubborn, relentless God who comes after people jealous for their hearts. That is our God. That's the God that Paul prayed to. Our God. Not just whoever's out there. I tripped over the, the curb and I'm not cussing anymore. But the personal God of Easter and the Exodus. All right, number two, if you're writing these down. God is ethical. He said, may this God strengthen your hearts in holiness Strengthen your hearts in holiness. This God wants to change us. I, I've often heard people parrot this sort of dumb line, God's not out to change you. That's bankrupt. He wants to change every single last one of us. If, if you are despairing at the state of the world, you're part of that, and I'm part of that. God wants to transform all of our lives. He wants to shape us and make us more like Christ. And this was his prayer for the church, that this God would strengthen our hearts for holiness, that we would please him and be prepared for his coming, to make us disciples. God doesn't want us just to sign on, on the, the credit card of Jesus and move on, live in our life by our own standards and in our own ways. He wants to take us from the margins and make us like himself. That's his, his call in our life. He wants to make us disciples. Dallas Willard said this, Disciples are simply people who are constantly revising their affairs to carry through on their decision to follow Jesus. God is constantly in our, at work in our life to alter our passions and our desires and our hungers and our affairs so that we can follow through on our decision to follow Christ Jesus as Lord. I love the language uh, of the scripture in Colossians chapter 2 where Paul said this, As you therefore have received Jesus the Lord... So walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. You see, one of the reasons that Paul is writing this church is because he was there and the church was a baby church, a, a fragile church with tender little, little shoots and tender little leaves. And he had to go. He had to go pretty rapidly. And, and as he was gone, he, he, he felt a, a sense of, of urgency for them and a sense of love for this church. And, and his heart he was just anxious. And, and so he, he sent another back, and he got the word back about how they were doing, that they, that they were growing, and they were, were being strengthened. And so he fires off a letter to them to continue this process going because he wanted this baby, fragile church to be rooted deeply in the truth and, and to be established 
You ever planted any vegetables or trees or fruit or, or flowers or anything like that? You, you put those seeds in the ground, and you're amazed every time. You may have done it a million times, but you're amazed every time that blade comes up out of that black dirt, aren't you? It's a miracle. It's an absolute wonder. And you have that fragile little plant, and you hope against hope. And slowly, almost imperceptibly, that fragile little plant gets strong, and then it gives life. And this is what Paul wanted for this church because he believed that the personal God he prayed to was an ethical God, and he had a vision for our life that was beyond our own vision of our best life now. And that vision was that we would be conformed to the likeness of his Son, our Savior, Jesus. And until we see him, we're still a work in progress, but he is faithful, and he is stubborn, and he works in our life, and this is the God we pray to. So that's, that's number two. All right, number three. God is one. He, he prays, God and Father himself, get this word, and the Lord Jesus. And the verb that follows is singular. So what's going on here? Paul's giving us a beautiful picture of the God of Scripture. He's giving us a picture uh, of one in three persons, blessed Trinity. We worship that way and we, we praise that way this morning. That God is, is the one God of, of the Old Testament. He was a monotheist who had a deep understanding that this Lord himself was divine. One that he could offer prayers to. This is a wonderful and a beautiful mystery, and it has practical application in our life. It means a number of things. One, that God is transcendent and larger and stronger and bigger and better than us. Not a creation of our mind, not a projection of our longings, not the, not the parent we wish we had, but, but bigger and larger and transcendent. And also that this God has come into our lives, tabernacled among us, and, and continues to by way of the Holy Spirit. That, that This God who is so much bigger and stronger and better, this great God is also good and near and active in our lives. A God worthy of our faith and our trust and our prayers. That means that this God is coming with, with the full manifestation of his reign and his kingdom. And that his kingdom is present now in measure. Our God. Our God is one. Fourthly, God is the Lord of the church. Paul, as he was praying, said, and direct our way to you. That, that you would direct the church's affairs, direct the church's action. God is the Lord, the sovereign over the church. Now, when we make a royal mess of things, it's, it's not on him. Sometimes a thumb doesn't function right, but our head is strong, and our head is Christ. This is why in Ephesians 5.21, we're called to submit ourselves one to another. How? Out of reverence for Christ. There's always this lordship dimension in our ecclesiology. If the church is the church, there's always a recognition that Christ is Lord. And this church is present when Christ is present among us. Jesus is the Lord of the church. It's amazing the language that Paul and Timothy and Sylvanus use talking about their relationship to this church. 
Let me give you some examples. They're familial examples. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 7, they said, We came to you gently like a nursing mother, giving you nourishment and tender life. He said, for, for instance, in, in chapter 2, verse 11, We came to you like a father admonishing and teaching. He, he called himself brother. He came, we came to you like brothers. And then in, at the end of chapter 2, verse 17, when they were apart, he said, I was like an orphaned child longing to be back with you again. I was orphaned. So there's this sense that in the church that we have roles to play, and, and those roles change in, in, the, in the life of the same person, and they're seasonal. Uh, and sometimes on the same day, we, we wear different hats, and we, we operate in different ways depending on, on the circumstance and the situation and the need. Sometimes we have to come in as, as a responsible parent in the lives of one another, offering nourishment and offering correction and guidance. Sometimes we have to come like a mama and daddy to each other. Many days we simply celebrate the joy of brother and sisterhood where we make each other stronger with great mutuality and, and a common place at the foot of the cross. And there are many, many days like, like motherless children, like orphan children, we come to the church to find our life and to find our hope. We are brothers and sisters and children and parents, and that is our life together. And, and Paul prayed to the kind of God who put a people together like that, who was willing to direct the affairs of those people. Nobody in their right mind should want to run the church. But there is a divine mind, the mind of Christ, that has already laid claim to that. And a wise Christian says yes to that and affirms that and prays to a God like that, a God that is the Lord of the church. And that should give us all pause as we live with one another and as we pray to God. And it should remind us that if we're not a praying people, we are not a faithful church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we need to bring our lives to Him. And we need through the Word and the Spirit to hear His heart made clear again and again and again and again as we live life together under His reign. For Paul, God is the Lord of the church. All right, number five. God is the lover of the world. He said, may the Lord of the church make a way that we can come back to you, and may he make you increase in your love for one another. Do you regularly pray that, that God would make us increase in our love for one another? I hope that you do. Uh, would you make a promise that day by day as you're on the elliptical machine, as you're driving down the street, that you would come to this God of Easter and the Exodus and say, God, in the church, would you make us increase in our love for one another? Are you in? It's maybe just as an experiment, get in on that, and let's just see what happens. And then he says this. He says, and for all. Now this gets tricky. Paul was calling on this church in Thessalonica to love all. And he knew that that was a, a divine reality only because they weren't strong enough in their own lives to do it. He was calling on them to love some very unlovely people in their lives. Remember, they received the word with persecution and with the joy of the Holy Spirit. When they said, yes, I'll follow Jesus, there wasn't a line of people clapping for them. Maybe a small group of fellow believers who were coming by and encouraging them, but, but there were no ads in the paper celebrating their baptism. 
In fact, just the opposite. They were either coming from a pagan community where, where they were leaving a, a permissive sexual culture where everything went and, and they were coming out of that and they were putting on new clothes of righteousness or they were coming out of a synagogue where they were going that, that way that had been persecuted but they were coming from something, and they were coming to Jesus. They were turning from idols, and, and they were turning to Christ, and they were coming with persecution and joy that came from the Holy Spirit. And Paul was calling on them to love Thessalonica. As you watch the news, as you read the paper, as you follow your Twitter feed, is there love in your heart? Can you be described as someone who engages the news of the world and the gossip of the village with love? My dad was coming home from a date in the late 1960s and he saw a group of men in black clothes uh, tucking themselves away in the shrubbery in my Uncle Fred's neighborhood. By the end of the night, he had heard of a shootout in the streets of Meridian, Mississippi. The FBI had infiltrated the Ku Klux Klan, and they had heard of a plot to blow up Meyer Davidson's house. He was a neighbor to my Uncle Fred. It had blown up the neighborhood. The guys my dad saw getting in the bushes were, were sharpshooters from the FBI. Tom Terrence arrived, a young radical leader in the Klan, with another young radical leader in the Klan, a, a, a cherub-faced elementary school teacher named Kathy Ainsworth. ABCs by day, bombings by night. I kid you not. They rolled in to the neighborhood, and as they were preparing to plant dynamite, they were shot. Kathy Ainsworth died almost immediately. Tom Terrence got in a car and ran for his life, returning fire. He winds up in the hospital. One of the wives of one of the men in the FBI was part of a prayer group at First Baptist Church in Meridian, Mississippi, a little prayer group of women that had been touched by the, by the charismatic movement in some ways, early parts of that, the, the early days of that. And those ladies did what little charismatic prayer groups do. They prayed in tongues. They pled the blood. They did all the stuff. And they did it in a very dignified southern manner. One of the ladies in that prayer group, she, she determined that I had been called to the ministry. And so she got one of my school pictures and put it on her refrigerator and has prayed for me every day since. These ladies prayed. And one of these women, uh, they said, had a burden in her heart to pray for this young man, not because he was lovely, but because he was loved. They worried God about him, as Susie James would say. They also worried their pastor, which sometimes those things go together. They sent Beverly Tennant, a, a, a very bright man with a big heart, down to see him. And he went, and he did the best he could to share the gospel. And he was, he was dismissed, but a seed was planted. And they kept play, praying, and they kept praying. And after a season, Tom Terrence gave his life, every last, every at last molecule of it to God. And he was transformed by grace. 
At one point in his life later on, he was a minister in an interracial church in Washington, D.C. He's with C.S. Lewis Institute. He's, he's done all this kind of stuff. But it all started when, when, when a group of little ladies in a prayer group determined that he was unlovely, but he was loved. You see a lot of unlovely stuff, don't you? Is there love in your heart? If not, and there's not enough in any of our hearts. It begins with a recognition that love is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he gives us. And God would have us be a people that pled with him to grow and increase our love for one another and for all. It doesn't mean we excuse a thing that's broken in this world any quicker than we would excuse what is broken in our own hearts. But it does mean we walk through the world not with a self-righteous swagger, but one with a humble brokenness that recognizes God can change Saul and God can pull pagans out of the, out of the mystery religions and God can take people like Timothy pretty mundane, boring, Bible school testimony, church kid, if you will, and change us for his glory. All right, I don't want to cheat you on the last one. Here's number six. This God is coming. He, he, said, he said, I want you to be ready. I want the church to be ready. For the Lord at his coming. Now next week I will talk about how the solar eclipse is related to this. No, that's <laughs> I'm sorry to disappoint you. You know me too better, too much by that. Uh, but the Lord, this is the promise and the hope, the blessed hope. Last week I was reminded that good sermons include quotes from C.S. Lewis. So today I end with this. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. Look, the world is in the deep winter of sin. And there is an enemy on the loose. But the spirit of Christ is present in this earth. And moving. And calling. And converting. And this same one that is present is coming in power. And spring, spring will dawn and life will bud again. That's who we pray to. God, pour out on your church a spirit of grace and supplication. Revive our hearts that we would know joy and love and grit and courage. Lord, I pray as we sing, if there's someone here that has a private decision that they've made with you that they feel to make public to, to, to follow you or to join this church, Lord, or they simply have a need in their life, they don't want to hold on their own anymore, Lord, I pray as, as we sing that they would come for their good and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand up and let's sing together. David, come and lead us.